What's up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me today is... That's right, folks, a very special guest. Chuck is taking a well-deserved vacation this week, so I decided to call in the big guns. He is the head honcho here at Land Grant, and many have called him the pod god, so... Nobody's called me that. <laughs> well, I call you that, Matt, but uh, I am, of course, talking about Matt Tamanini from Land Grant Holy Land, and Matt, thanks for filling in, lending your smooth, buttery voice. How are we doing, sir? <laughs> I'm doing great. I, I always enjoy jumping on, and uh, it's getting ready to be, you know, football season. This is the week of Big Ten media days. That leads right into the beginning of fall camp. So essentially, even though we are still like in the third, fourth week, I guess fourth week of July, like it's football season. This is the start of what will be a four, five, maybe even more month process of watching the Buckeyes. So I could not be more excited to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely getting close. You can almost sense it, smell it, taste it a little bit. And look, I love having Matt on, honestly, because we don't always agree on things. And I think that's super interesting. You know, he and I are not polar opposites by any means. But Matt, we've done a couple pods before and we talk in the Slack chat like mm -hmm. we we differ sometimes. And that certainly helps me broaden my point of view from time to time. So excited uh, to have you, like I said. And Matt, I usually like to start off the episode by discussing current event type stuff, right? Goings on in the world of Scarlet and Gray. But before we do that, you and I have not had a chance to really talk about this in depth. I wanted to get your insight or your opinion on something without beating it into the ground, obviously. Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern. You know, we have heard the terrible allegations. This is a very unfortunate situation all around. The school has now taken some action, although this thing is far, far from over, right? And now there's just, there's a lot left to sort out. I want to look at this from a different angle and ask you, I guess, a blunt question, but I think it's one that is fair and worth examining. Matt, do you think that Northwestern is, Northwestern football is better off now? You know, do you think that now they can clean house a bit, put some real guardrails in place, and come out of this situation better strictly from a football perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't think that you can look at this in, in either perspective, on field, off field, whatever. I don't think you can look at this as anything but a positive. I, I had a lot of respect for Pat Fitzgerald as being somebody who was so entrenched in the fabric of not only that program, but in the fabric of the university. So I respected what he did and was able to make a fairly respectable football program at a school that really should have no business being halfway decent at all. Mm -hmm. um, not only do they have the much loftier academic expectations for their recruits than many of their brethren in the big 10, but it's also a tiny school. Like I, I don't have it right mm -hmm. in front of me, but like Northwestern's, enrollment i met my i might have had classes bigger at ohio state than northwestern had like <laughs> total students so I, I don't think you can look at this and say that they are losing somebody who meant nothing to the program because clearly he had a huge impact not only on what fans thought of the northwestern football program to be but also built them into a fairly decent program that being said for just as many times as the team shocked and made it to the big 10 championship game or won eight, nine, 10 games. They also won like three or four. So this was not something that was like yep. 
on the upward trajectory. This was not a program where the team was a perennial power over in the West. They could challenge for the West like almost every other year, but like in the off years, they sucked. So I, I think that there is something to be said for potentially whoever takes over, whether it's David Braun, who is getting that interim tag right now. He is new to the program this year. He just was hired over as the defensive coordinator for the 2023 season. He's been named the head coach, uh, the interim head coach right now. Uh, if he's the guy to take him to the next level, awesome. Um, but I think you have to look at this and say, from a football perspective, which is what your question was, this can only lead to well, I, no, it cannot only lead to better things because it could certainly lead to worse things. <laughs> yeah, at it could get worse. Yeah, but it could lead to better things. And I think at some point when you look at somebody like Pat Fitzgerald, who's been at Northwestern as a coach since 2001, started as the DB coach, became the linebackers coach, um, and then was um, promoted to head coach uh, after the unfortunate passing of the great Randy Walker. He's been there forever. And you have to assume at some point you kind of know what his program is and you don't see anything substantially changing. You know, obviously year to year there will be major changes, but like his program is his program. And so I don't think you're ever going to see Northwestern go to the next level of consistently competing with. Well, I can't can't say like Wisconsin and Iowa in the West because the divisions are going away, but like competing for Big Ten championship berths or competing for uh, New Year's Six Bowls or anything like that. If he was there, I don't think they were ever going to get over that hump. Could they get over the hump with David Braun or whomever takes over long term? Sure. I don't think they will, but it's an option that they potentially do have, which I don't think they would have had with Pat Fitzgerald. Now, on the other side of things, if this is what that program looks like, and honestly, maybe I should have known this, but I had I don't think anybody really and you know thought that there was anything like this hazing and the racism accusations going on in that program. If if that's the way that program has been run for a year for five years, for 10 years since he took over in 2006, good riddance. And like, good. This is much better for not only the players, but the program and the university as a whole. So I think that there are certainly, like I said, there are opportunities for this to go completely off the rails and fall back to being an absolute dumpster fire. But I think it also, you know, just in the grand scheme of things, off the field, even if they take a step back in performance, it's probably better for the health of the university and the program that they don't have that type of toxic environment at the core of one of the most public parts of the university. Yeah, I agree with really all of those points. You know, Northwestern, in my opinion, had grown very, very complacent. And you can say the same about a lot of schools, right? Like I, I, I've picked on Iowa in the past. I think that they've grown complacent. Wisconsin before they got rid of Paul Christ and they really only did that because they last season went very very poorly um sometimes it takes something to end that complacency or shake up the monotony and look in this instance it is a very bad thing or set of things or at least very bad allegations right but you kind of hit on it it seems like this needed to come to an end for multiple reasons. I really hit on the football. You hit a little bit on the personal, but I think both can be true. And we agree on this that like, yes, if this was the way that he ran his program, see you later. We know how his program performed. And I think they also should have said, Hey, see you later. And this will now, you know, has come to fruition. And as far as Northwestern goes, yeah, I don't, it's, 
probably going to be tough for them to ever get to another level. But they won the West a couple of times. Um, you're right, it's small. The academic standards are very, very difficult. But near a great city, you know, the facilities at Northwestern are immaculate. Uh, I, I think I'd read they wanted to put some money into the stadium that may be on hold now. Um, but then, like, look at Stanford, right? David Shaw went into Stanford or took over at Stanford and sort of, like, piggybacked off of Jim Harbaugh a little bit. And it didn't end well, but they were they were in the mix for a bit. And I do think that there is a chance, probably a slim one, that Northwestern can maybe get in that sort of conversation. Um, just because, look, that's... California, that's Palo Alto, if I'm not mistaken. Like they've got some yep. nice advantages out there on the left coast. But when you talk about academics, they're they're similar, right? And again, the facilities at Northwestern. Northwestern also has some really nice things going for it. So who knows? I think that a lot of it will depend on who they bring in. It's going to be very interesting to see who that is. Um you know, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Do you think that they pace down somebody with Northwestern ties, or do you think they go the opposite way? Because you know, it's likely that whoever they go and get may have had a close relationship or some kind of relationship with Pat Fitzgerald. So, which direction do you think that they ultimately go? Well, I think it certainly depends on how things go, both on and off the field this season. David Braun was hired by Pat Fitzgerald to be the defensive coordinator for this season, but he really has no other ties to Northwestern. He's been at smaller schools. Um, he most recently was at North Dakota state, was at Northern Iowa for a few years, UC Davis. So he's not somebody with like deep Northwestern ties, but he was hired by Pat Fitzgerald. So I think that there's a, enough of a difference, uh, or a distance between them to, if he is able to keep the ship steady, not that I'm expecting them to like you know, win the West or anything this year, but if they can, <laughs> can, can, you know, show to be not an absolute train wreck, I think they stick with David Braun. I don't see how you bring him in to be the head coach to kind of keep things going after all of this tumult. And if he does fairly well, get rid of him. I, that was my big concern with knowing nothing about the, the Northwestern coaching staff after it happened was like, this is happening in July or maybe at the end of June. I don't remember exactly when, but this is like happening in the summer. You can't go out and get, a head coach now, like there's just no way to do that. And then if this stuff is so entrenched in the fabric of the program, how are you going to promote from within? So it seems like they were able to kind of like thread that needle with David Braun, who was going to be the defensive coordinator, uh, had just gotten there this year. So I feel like that's, that's fine. If this doesn't work and they don't decide to remove the interim tag from him, he'll probably leave and they'll have to go out and get somebody else. I don't know how you get somebody who is coached under Pat Fitzgerald, I don't think it would be a problem yeah. to see if you have a player maybe from earlier in his tenure, maybe even a Randy Walker player. But I don't know if there's a ton of those guys in the coaching circles. So I'm not sure. Like, I, to be honest with you, that's a school that probably really, really would like to have somebody there because otherwise it. I don't. I, I feel like because it doesn't have necessarily the deep tradition that Ohio State has, and we still talk about the fact that oh, you want to have Ohio ties, even though Ryan Day doesn't. I think they probably would like to have somebody with some sort of connection to the Wildcat program, but I don't know that it's necessary. To be honest with you, like just get somebody who is going to run that program well uh, and is going to make decisions that benefit those young men 
uh, and go from there. But I, I would not be surprised if in four or five years, David Braun is still the head coach at Northwestern. Yeah, I guess I could see that happening just because if he gets put into a very, very, very difficult situation and comes even close to expectations, and I don't even know what those expectations are, to be honest. Yeah, Maybe sure. if he just keeps this thing on the tracks a bit, that is enough to you know get him some leeway and get him a couple years. I, I think the, the pie-in-the-sky candidate is obviously Mike Kafka, but look, he played – under Pat Fitzgerald, granted he was a quarterback. I don't know how much time those two like individuals spent together, but you have to assume he was sort of like the leader of the team. And if any of these things were going on, then that's a whole wormhole, right? And if you just look at Kafka though and where he's at now, you know, he was with the Why Kansas City leave? Chiefs. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he was working under Andy Reid, coaching Pat Mahomes. Now he's an OC. In New York, I mean, yeah, I just look. He's a Chicago guy. Probably grew up maybe rooting yep. for Northwestern, but yeah, I mean, it's he's on a very nice trajectory at the next level, and so I, I think that would be awfully awful, diff, awfully yeah. awful difficult. I, doesn't sound right, but you you know no, what I'm trying to say, yeah. right? Look, if David Braun somehow gets. Northwestern to even close to bowl eligibility this year, I think he stays. Um, they yeah, that'd be a massive win in my opinion. Yeah, I mean they were they were horrible last season. Were they were they were they one and eleven or two and ten something like that? Um, it so was two if, two two wins I think. Yeah, either way, if they can get to to like five wins or heaven forbid six like that, I, I think he just might have bought himself two three years at the head of that program. I agree with you, uh, and I think we've I, – again, I wanted to avoid beating that over the head. So, in my opinion, I think we did a good job there. But let's change the subject a little bit, Matt. Try and lighten the mood a little bit, or not, depending on or how not. you take this news. But uh, So, Matt and I are recruiting or recording Sunday evening, spoiler alert. Um, and some Ohio State recruiting news came out just before we went on. 2024 linebacker Kingston Viliamu Asa, a top 100 recruit as ranked by 247, announced his commitment to Notre Dame. 6'3", 230-pound linebacker out of St. John Bosco Prep, Viliamu Asa already has great size, and he is described as a versatile defender. There were rumblings that Ohio State was maybe in the lead, but he had kept his entire recruitment really close to the vest. Uh, I read a number of things online that like all of his final three schools or each of his final three schools, as in USC, Notre Dame and Ohio state felt that maybe they had a lean or they were optimistic. And in the end, he chooses the fighting Irish. And he kind of gave a quote when he was doing his announcement that it was sort of an odd quote, actually, like, he didn't really see himself at Notre Dame, but then he prayed about it and his faith sort of led him to Notre Dame. And if that's the case, great for him. But it's sort of odd that he's like, oh, you know, I saw the other two schools, but then I prayed about it. But look, again, that's some people are very d deep rooted in faith and great for him. Matt, let's talk about Ohio State, though. What does this most recent commitment mean in the grand scheme of things? really, if anything, to you and where Ohio State is at with their 2024 class? Um, I don't know that it means a ton. They've already got some uh, 
linebacking commits in the class. They've got Peyton yeah. Pierce, who's number 197 in the class uh, overall. Uh, actually, if you go by um, the composite rankings, he's 170. So uh, they do have a linebacker in there. They probably only need one more. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Let me scroll through my little list here of, of who else they very well could be could be getting. I don't know that there's any other commits coming up here in the near future. For well, the they missed out position. on one. Not that not that they really missed out on him, but Edwin Spillman just a, a day or yes. two ago too was another kid a guy who in the was 300s. on their list. Yeah, a guy in the three hundreds. So like they want to get another linebacker recruit, and certainly you would have liked to have have uh, have gotten Kingston there. He's a number one hundred two in the country according to twenty four seven Sports composite rankings. So they wanted him, and I think like you said back in maybe June when he was on uh, campus last, I, I think. Everyone thought that he was an Ohio State lean. He, they got the last visit. So that's always really good. But things certainly started to trend in Notre Dame's direction over the last few weeks. I wrote in our Wednesday from last week, uh, recruiting article, State Secrets, that I I had him going to, to Notre Dame. That's where I expected him to go. And that was really the like the on three recruiting prediction machine had him at Notre Dame 73% and Ohio state was just a 6% chance. So certainly you want to have him. Ohio state is going to want to have another linebacker in this class who that is. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it could be Slim Pickens uh, now. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there are other guys in the mix as I'm looking down here. I'm not seeing a ton as I'm kind of going through stuff there, there's not a lot of guys that they are super high on now, but it's still, I mean, it's July, like there's seven, you know, six and a half, seven months until recruiting is done. So certainly you want to have him. There are certain guys coming up that you certainly don't want to miss out on as well. You've got Aaron Scott coming up next Sunday, this coming Sunday, who all the crystal balls in the on three recruiting prediction machine still says Ohio state is a clear winner there. The vibe around him is not as good. Uh, the vibe makes yeah. me very, very nervous. Uh, so I'm hoping that the the recruiting experts know better than I do and they aren't just banking on stuff that they heard a couple months ago. So if Aaron Scott, who is the number 52 player in the country, a cornerback from Ohio, if he ends up committing, that certainly makes things a little bit better, although it's a different position. Then you've got Edric Houston, who is going to commit on August 22nd. He's the number 22 player in the country. He is a defensive lineman. He, again, is one of those guys who everybody seems to think is going to Ohio State. So I, knowing that, I wish he would have like committed on July 22nd instead of <laughs> August 22nd just to like get it over with. But if you, could, if you could land him and then Dylan Stewart coming up later in the, you know, whenever he decides to make his commitment, who's the number 10 player in the country, an edge rusher out of Washington, D.C., uh, who all of the crystal balls are pushing him to Ohio State as well. Like that certainly helps solidify the defensive recruitment for Ohio State this season, even if they don't have another linebacker in the mix right now. You certainly need to get another linebacker, but if you can get two two more stud defensive linemen and another stud defensive back, it certainly makes me feel a little bit better about the Ohio State defensive recruiting, which hasn't been the strongest in the last few years. You know, we look at the recruiting for Ohio State and say, look, their classes have been top three, you know, top two, you know, contending for top one. But a lot of that has had to do with Thanks Brian Hartline. Yeah. And, yep. and, you know, you get some of the, you know, th the three of the five best wide receivers in the country. Your numbers look really, really good. Um, you and I have had arguments or disagreements about Larry Johnson uh, a lot over the years and throw in Jordan with that as well. 
Um, yeah. You know, not that the linebacker recruiting is, is necessarily his, but if you start to throw in Dylan Stewart and if you get Edric Houston and you look at the other guys that he's already landed in this class, like Justin Scott, like that's it's that's a really good defensive line class. So if he can land all three of those guys, I'll be willing to overlook a little bit of a downturn in linebacker recruiting. Although I do think that James Laurinaitis's presence will certainly help pull somebody of decent stature and decent talent before the end of this cycle. And that's what I'm looking for is sort of the last piece of that that you mentioned. It, it may not happen in 2024 with this class, but I look at Ohio State's linebacker recruiting specifically in the last couple of cycles. Look, I, I, I like Peyton Pierce. I like Garrett Stover. I liked Kingston Villiamuesa. Thought he would have been a nice land. Uh, they had the kid last year, Tackett Curtis, went elsewhere. They got Arbel Reese, again, a guy that I like, very good athlete, mm-hmm. but he has Ohio ties. Like, look, I get it. Ohio State's sort of new system. They don't have a ton of linebackers out there on the field. James Laurinaitis, just as far as he goes, is just now getting back into the fold here at Ohio State, but When's the last time Ohio State landed a big-time recruit? It was, what, C- at linebacker, C.J. Hicks and Gabe Powers, I think, in the same class, right? Yeah. And that was that was great, but did you have to, any, to go anywhere to get them? No, not really. Marysville and, gosh, C.J. Hicks' hometown is going to escape me right now because, of course, it will, but Ohio guys, right? they probably grew up rooting for the Buckeyes and it wasn't a a very difficult sell. Even look, go back a little bit further. Tommy Eichenberg, Cleveland kid, St. Ignatius, I think. Um, But that's going back a ways. The last couple of cycles have been somewhat troubling, just linebacker recruiting specific because they missed out on some guys. And Villamoreso is just another one. I'm not concerned because like other things that you brought up, the totality of this class looks pretty darn good right now. Obviously, they are number two in the current rankings. You mentioned the the guys on the defensive line that they are looking at and seemingly in a good place with. This class could end up being still like an all-timer when you really think about it. If they go out and they land Aaron Scott and Dylan Stewart and Edric Houston, like we could be talking number one class and things of that good. nature, but it it just it stings to miss on another linebacker. I don't think it's make or break by any means, and uh, I don't want to say it's not somewhat of a big deal because uh, I like Villamuesa, at least what I saw of him. But it just stings more than anything. But I, I guess I sort of look at the aggregate, and it's like, yeah, they missed on him, but they got Justin Scott recently, and I don't know how many people, if any, like expected that or expected it when they did. So I'm like, okay, Ohio State's, they're winning in the aggregate if you look at the last couple because Justin Scott is just such a phenomenal player and you know, anchoring the class right now is that number 20, 21 national prospect. So you miss in this game, right? It happens. And yep. Ohio State missed on a player, but they're going to have plenty of other swings down the road. Yeah, I, I went back and looked. The last time that Ohio State landed an out-of-state top 100 linebacker was in the 2020 class, and that was Cody Simon out of St. Peter's Prep in New Jersey. He was number 75 in the country. So it's been a minute. Um, and I yeah. think there was there was actually one year, and I should have looked at what it was, maybe 2021, where they didn't have a single linebacker in the entire class, in the entire recruiting class. So linebacker recruiting for reasons that 
we clearly understand if you have watched Ohio State football over the last few years and understood who was on their coaching staff has not been good. So you certainly don't want that to continue when your linebacker coach is your defensive coordinator and you bring in, I don't know what Laurinaitis' official title is, if he's like an analyst or whatever he is, if he's a GA, I think he might be a GA technically, um, who's a former NFL player. You you want to see a turn in that, but I think you're right. The, the 4-2-5 defense certainly probably puts a little bit of concern in some linebackers. Although I will admit that I think the guys who you really want to go after, those top 100 guys, feel like they're going to earn their spot on the field, whether it's two, three, four, five, six, seven linebackers. They they feel like they're going to be the guy. So do you want more? Absolutely. But I feel like Ohio State is trending in the right direction for some defensive guys. And if they can land these players like all of the experts predict that they will, uh, this could be a really special defensive class. And I said in the article that I wrote last week that I mentioned earlier, like when you follow recruiting, like part of it is getting your heart broken. Like, you know that there are guys yep. who you're going to get attached to who are going to go other places because you're one of three, four, five schools that set your sights on getting that player. And he can only pick one school unless, you know, he decommits and goes somewhere else. Um, you know, you can, you, you know, he can commit to four or five schools. But I mean, in, you know, when it comes to signing, only one school is going to get him. So, if you can land, if you're Ohio State, a third of the players that you get really excited for, I, I don't know the numbers wise if that's actually a good percentage or not, but I feel like from guarding your heart on those things, that's probably pretty decent. So if you tell me that you lose Kingston, Viliamu, Asa, but you get Aaron Scott and Edric Houston, I'll, I'll take that trade off. That's a hell of a trade. Yeah, it put me down every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And I, I, as you were talking, I, I was what's the best way to sum up Ohio State's recent linebacker recruiting? And I think the best way to sum it up is Steel Chambers. You know, you talked about some <laughs> of the thin classes, right? Yeah. And Steel Chambers was a running back who is now playing linebacker. Look, he's, and he's a hell really of a good. linebacker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Nothing at all against him, but that sort of sums it up. And uh, Matt, I didn't give you a heads up on this, but I, I want to get into the theme week stuff. After I get one more opinion from you, well, you'll actually give me a bunch of opinions moving forward. But one other thing, the alternate uniforms, just very quickly, what are your thoughts on the sort of light gray, bright red alternate unis for the Michigan State game coming up this year? I don't care. I just I, I don't <laughs> care. I'm not a uniform person like they look nice. They look fine. But like what you what they wear doesn't interest me at all. As long as like I'm not a huge fan of the alternates for the Michigan game. Other than that, go to town. I don't care what you wear. As long as it's scarlet and gray in some form or fashion, throw in the whites or blacks. I'm fine with that. I just as long as as long as you keep the game in the uniforms and I would actually be fine, which this is not an original thought. Everybody has said this. Like I would totally be fine if if Ohio State and Michigan both wore you know, I guess that would be their their home jerseys, the the color jerseys for that game. I'd be fine with that. But other than that, I could not care less about what they wear. I'm sort of with you. It's it's one of those things. I don't know how to describe it. I only care when they look really bad. But yeah, sure. I like these. They, and they get the players excited. If the players are excited, go for it. Like I just it doesn't inch, like I'm not a fashion person. Like I don't I, I don't have like nice clothes. Like I just don't care. So uh, if it makes the players excited, if they sell some jerseys and uh, can share some of that with, with the players, even better. But as long as you're not doing anything for the game, I'm I'm totally fine with it. Go, you know, go wild. I'm with you. These sort of look like the throwback 
Ohio State basketball ones. The yes. the red in this football jersey is a little bit brighter, but that's what they reminded me of when I first saw them. But uh, M- Matt, I think it's time to get to some theme week content. I'm really excited about this stuff. I gave you a little bit of a heads up, but I think it's going to be really interesting. So what do you say we take a quick little break and then we'll come back and we will talk about some land grant, holy land theme week content. What do you say? Let's do it. All right, everybody, welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land. Josh Dooley here, and with me again, filling in Matt Tamanini, the head honcho here at Land Grant. Matt, let's pivot to some theme week content. I've been pretty excited about this one since you and I talked. And for those of you listening, in case you have not been following along, and shame on you if that is the case, Land Grant is focusing content on a particular theme each week, hopefully sort of filling in the summer sports gaps and bringing up some fun and interesting stuff to talk about. Last week's theme was that team up north, and this week it is bold prediction. So I presented an idea to Matt. I wanted to do something that I thought was at least semi-original, and he was kind enough to oblige. Maybe he was just humoring me, but I think he's going to enjoy this because he gets to tell me why I am going to be wrong or why I might be wrong. So for Bold Predictions Week, I am going to give Matt my bold predictions, and he is going to tell me why they will not come to fruition. We are obviously Ohio State fans, so I don't think that Matt is going to say, oh, well, this player sucks, so he is never going to break a record. (laughs) But I don't know. Then again, maybe he will. I gave him a general idea of where I wanted to go so that he would not be blindsided, but I think this will be a lot of fun. Matt, are you ready to get into some bold predictions or what? Let's go. I'm ready to rock and roll. Okay. We're just going to jump right into it. Bold prediction number one, Matt is going to tell me why these will or, well, likely will not come to fruition. Number one, I've got CJ Hicks unseats Steel Chambers as linebacker two or a starting linebacker. Not necessarily saying that Hicks is named a starter or plays the first snap even, but I think that he sees the field more often than Steel Chambers by the end of the season. Matt, what say you? I want a little bit of a clarification here, though. Are we just looking at, like, total snaps or snaps in key situations, or are we looking at, like, who's out there with Tommy the most? Because I think there's a big difference between the total number of snaps that somebody plays versus, like, the stuff when the game's actually on the line. That's fair. So I guess a better way for me to phrase it, I think that by, let's call it maybe mid-season, definitely by the end of the season, Steel Chambers might be a ceremonial starter, but he is going to be a pretty clear backup to either CJ Hicks or Tommy Eichenberg. Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening. Um, I think that you will certainly see more of a rotation with the linebackers than we saw last year when it was pretty much Tommy and Steel all the time. Uh, I I don't have the snap counts in front of me, but I think that they had at least 90% of the key stop, you know, um, snaps, not, you know, counting garbage time and stuff like that. I certainly think that CJ Hicks will be number three in that. And I think he will actually be fairly close. If you look at just the number of snaps that somebody has when the game is still not necessarily in doubt, but still within reach. I would not be surprised if CJ Hicks is pretty close to Steel Chambers. I don't see Tommy coming off the field 
very much, uh, you know, other than yeah. for um, a few breaths here or there, unless he's injured. Um, I think the nice thing about having CJ Hicks now having a year under his belt is that if Tommy Eichenberg breaks a bone in his hand, um, he's certainly not going to want to come out, but maybe you don't have to play him every single snap. So barring injury, of course, I still think that Steele and Tommy will be the starters. I think they've earned it and they've proven that especially well, in both of their cases, I don't think anyone really expected a ton from either Steele or Tommy uh, when they first were named starters. But like, I think they've proven that they're legitimate, you know, Big Ten Ohio State linebackers. I thought Tommy really should have gotten much more consideration for national awards last year. Uh, oh, yeah. In fact, I think he could have he could win them this year. But uh, I think CJ Hicks will be a huge, huge part of this uh, of this linebacker rotation. And I do think that Jim Knowles will rotate more guys in. So do I think that he supplants Steele in being the starter or the de facto starter? I don't just because I don't see Steele, you know, st- taking a step back. Like, I think he's just going to continue to get better. But I do think that if if St- if Tommy is one and Steele is two, I could certainly see CJ being 2B, you know, and, and going from there. But certainly he's going to be a guy who gets a lot of time on the field and certainly deserves it based off of what we saw as a true freshman and everything that he had coming in to the program. 2B is is something I want to latch on to there because that's more or less where my prediction was going. I think Chambers becomes 2B, like you hit on. Look, I love Steel Chambers. I really do. I, I do not think that he is a below average player by any means. I think he is well above average, but CJ Hicks just strikes me as something special. And... For all the love that Chambers gets as an athlete, look, C.J. Hicks is probably bigger, stronger, and faster. So, look, I think we're 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 squabbling over something that we're like, we probably think that they should both be on the field at all times eventually, right? But because of the defensive system in which they play, only one guy gets to see the field next to Tommy Eichenberg. And so that's where I think just the the uniqueness or the the high end ceiling that I think CJ Hicks has. That's where I see this, him sort of winning out, but yeah, steel chambers has got some things going for him. Obviously experience. He's like BFFs with Tommy Eichenberg. So when you talk about like chemistry and having that same brain at the same position, that's awfully tough to beat. But I just think that by the heart of Big Ten season, the C.J. Hicks gets in there. I don't know. Call me crazy. It could happen. It could certainly happen. All right, Matt. So bold prediction number two. And I didn't plan on going all defense. You're going to notice a theme, though, and then I promise I'll switch it up. Bold prediction number two. Sonny Styles begins the season as a starter in Look, in my opinion, Lathan Ransom is the only Buckeye safety who should be guaranteed a starting role, period. And I think that he moves to the free safety adjuster role. And I believe that Sonny Styles and Josh Proctor are best suited for the strong safety sort of bandit role. I just think that the former's upside there is too much to pass up, even if he is still figuring some things out. Coaches have said, hey, we want Sonny Styles to do a, a couple of things great as opposed to a bunch of things well or average, whatever it is. <clears throat> but Look, I mean, Josh Proctor, let's let's be honest. Let's have a real conversation. He's not a perfect player. He was benched from his role, this exact role, last year by Lathan Ransom. I think that was probably a bit harsh, honestly, after a 
basically one game of struggling, but whatever. Styles essentially played in the CFP as a high school senior. So I think he's ready. And in my opinion, he is the second best safety on this team right now. And that's knowing Josh Proctor. That's knowing a little bit about Jihad Carter. Like, I don't even know if this is a bold prediction that he will start. But what say you, Matt? I'm torn on this just because I don't know where Ohio State coaches see him. If you go with kind of how they used him last year, I think he's behind Lathan Ransom. But obviously we know that Sonny Styles has plenty of athletic upside to play any of the positions. I think that his best chance to get on the field right now is at the nickel because I think you're going to keep Lathan Ransom uh, at the strong safety position. I think they're going to run out Josh Proctor at the free safety. All, th- all that we've heard throughout spring is how good Josh Proctor looked. And I think coming into last season, people expected Josh Proctor to be a really good safety. And he just wasn't last year. And I don't know, like you said, if that was because he struggled at the beginning and then never really had the opportunity to show it. Uh, so I think if, if Sonny South is going to be a starter, it's going to be in the situational linebacker, um, nickel safety p- position, like the hybrid linebacker safety position. Does that mean he's a starter? I don't know how often that, that position, if they're going to run that out all the time or not. I, I just don't, I don't know. I guess Cam Martinez is the guy he's fighting that with for that position. Maybe Jihad Carter as well. I, I think, you know, the fact that Sonny Styles went to the same high school I did, I want to see him on the field as much as humanly possible. And I re- <laughs> I'm old enough to remember his dad playing for Ohio State. But I just don't know. Like, I, I I certainly think that there's been a lot of buzz around him from fans, from media members. But in this spring, we started to hear it more and more from the Ohio State coaches, whether that is uh, Perry Eliano, whether that's Knowles. I think we're starting to get to the point where they realize, like, yeah, he's the dude that we thought he was when he was coming, and we've got to get him onto the field. I think that can happen. Will that happen game one? I, I don't know. I mean, it is a Big Ten game, so maybe they go with guys who they have seen a little bit more of in situations like that, and they run out Cam Martinez there in that nickel safety position. I, If you would have flipped this and said instead of C.J. Hicks being a starter by the end of the season and Sonny Styles being a starter by the end of the season, that would have been a no-brainer for me. I would have said, yes, I definitely agree with Sonny Styles being a starter at the end of the season. But because you say, said for the opener on September 2nd against Indiana, I'll hedge a little bit. But again, like Hicks... He's the next man up behind the safeties at whatever position he ends up playing in. Uh, I think it'll be the nickel, but I also could see him really at any of those positions because he is that good, that athletic. He's big, so necessarily his size doesn't necessarily play perfectly for all of them. But I think yep. that the athletic ability that he has can kind of you know compensate for that. Uh, and he's just too good to not have off on the field. So we'll see what happens with Jihad Carter. We'll see what happens with Cam Martinez. I think Josh Proctor has solidified himself in a starting role, at least for game one. Uh, but we will certainly see what happens. And Matt, I've got a little bit of a confession here. With my first two bold predictions, <clears throat> there was certainly some emotion, I guess, that went into these. And I'll tell you, here's why. When I think about less steel chambers, but when I think about a Josh Proctor and some of the guys that may have an edge right now over a CJ Hicks or a Sonny Styles. I think about the 2022 defense. They looked really, really good against 
Iowa and yeah. Wisconsin and this team or that team. And then they they play Michigan, they play Georgia, and they're a leaky faucet. They can't stop anything. That's where I'm like, they played safe. Yeah. And you they're want just, freaks. You want freaks in those situations. Yes. It's like, and if you try it early and you iron out the kinks, then maybe you get the ball rolling and you're you're at your peak sort of at the end of the year. So that's why those two names were involved in my first two bold predictions because, yeah, there was some emotion there. There was some scar tissue from last year where it's like, look, they played it safe all year, and then when they played against the best offenses they had to play against, they were torched against that. That's less towards Steel Chambers. I'm not going to put much on him, but when I think of, unfortunately – when I think of a Josh Proctor, when I think of a, gosh, even like a Teron Vincent, and, and yes, give me freaks out there. Give me Tyleek Williams over Teron Vincent. Give me Sonny Styles over Josh Proctor. And so that's where my my thought process came into mind. That's a big word salad to say, Matt, let's get the bold prediction number three, right? Let's do it. And I told you, I did not want to start out with all defense, but it just naturally led me that way. Bold prediction number three is that someone other than JT Tuimoloau leads the Buckeyes in sacks. And if I wanted to place a bet on longer odds, this is bold. I would actually go with Kenyatta Jackson. Oh, yeah, I would not go there. That's 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 too far for me. Okay, tell me why. Um, I do. I would not be surprised if somebody other than JT led the team in sacks last year. Off the top of your head, do you know who led the team in sacks last year? I want to say Michael Jr. like tied with maybe Jack Sawyer. I mean, That's it was correct. not not a great number. Yeah, it was four and a half for both Jack and Mike, and I think Mike had like Nailed it. two two and a half of those in one game. Javante uh, Jean Baptiste was actually third with four. Former Ohio State legend. Yeah, and then Zach Harrison and JT tied with three and a half. So. I do expect the entire construction of the defensive line to be different this year, but I also feel like offensive lines are going to focus much more on JT Tuimaloau than they might have last year. But I I just think that the way that this defensive line is going to be constructed with Jack now playing actual defensive end rather than playing Jack, Mike Hall hopefully healthy there in the middle, um, JT on the end, and then whomever ends up in the middle of that line alongside Mike. I don't I don't know if that is going to be Tyleek Williams or if that's going to be Ty Hamilton. I I think Ty Hamilton seems to have the lead there much more of a steady guy. We heard Tyleek Williams talk in the spring about how he just w- wasn't ready to play last year. He didn't take his his conditioning, his his weight management, his nutrition very seriously. So I think he's still a little bit more of a guy who's probably more talented than Ty Hamilton, but isn't necessarily there from all the things that the coaches need to see him do. I think he'll play a lot, but we also saw how Ty Hamilton's brother really came on at the end of his career. So maybe he could do it as well. But if you look at Jack, Mike, let's say it's Ty Hamilton and JT, that's a really exciting defensive line for me. And I think the fact that there are going to be a lot of guys running around there. I I think that it's going to be hard for offensive lines and offensive line coaches to prepare to stop everybody. But if you have to stop somebody, to me, you still have to stop JT. So if they're going to double team somebody, I think they're going to double team JT, which means that you're pulling somebody out of the middle of the line 
for maybe Mike, maybe Ty, maybe Ty Leak, or leaving somebody on the edge, uh, you know, a little bit more vulnerable for Jack. So I think JT will impact the game just as much as ever, if not more, much like we saw with the Bosa's or uh, or with Chase by making a lot of plays, but also by eating up offensive blockers that can make room for other guys as well. So this is one that I will actually agree with. I'm not going with the Kenyatta Jackson, although that would be glorious to see a young guy step up there who I'm not even sure. Matt, I am, I am, an, I am a company man. And when you yeah. said bold predictions. You said bold. Yeah, you go bold. I love that. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all good. Um, I'm all good with saying somebody else. Kenyatta, I, I guess he's going to be, you know, the next guy up. Uh, him and Caden Curry, maybe. Uh, so we'll see, uh, we'll see what they do with Mitchell Melton as a Jack or whatever, but, um, I'm for it. I'm here with this one, but I would also not be surprised if, if JT puts up 12 to, to, to 15 sacks this year either. So either way, I, I'm, yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. And this is not an anti JT to stance or a prediction. Oh, no, 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 not at all. He is a, a very balanced disruptor. You know, he is very good against the run and he can get up to the quarterback very well, but He's not a sack artist by any means. You know, three and a half last year. I don't remember what he had as a freshman, but I sort of throw that out the window because he got into camp late, yada, yada, yada. And it's difficult, I think, difficult more so than it has been in the past for like a a traditional defensive end to rack up sacks in today's game. Like whether you're playing in the Big Ten or not, like – 10, 12 sacks is reflective of a guy who like gets after the quarterback all the time. And it used to be, oh, hey, that's a really good number. It's just a little bit different now. And so I think that Tui Moloa is a great player. And I agree with you that there will be or there should be attention on not just him, but also Jack Sawyer, Tyleek Williams, Mike Hall Jr., those guys across the line. I think that they their talent ceiling is so, so, so exponentially higher, in my opinion, this year than it was last. And I went over some of the names, you know, Teron Vincent, a guy like Javante, John Baptiste, nothing against any of those guys, I promise. But do you agree with me, Matt? Like, it's not even in the same ballpark, the the hypothetical ceiling for this group versus 2022? Oh, yeah. I mean, nowhere close. Like, this, I, I think that, in a lot of positions, and some of them we're going to talk about here in a little bit, like I think that we have really the opportunity to see what all of the recruiting rankings have said for the past five years, decade, whatever you want to go back and say, look, they're getting good guys in and they just aren't necessarily always hitting on how they perform. Uh, I think that we will see a defensive line especially take steps forward this year. Is it going to be the same as when you had – Bosa's or Chase Young on the outside. No, I just don't think the game has played that way anymore. They get the ball. Quarterbacks get the ball out so much quicker that that just changes how many sacks you can possibly have. So I I think that the game has changed to the fact that the defensive line is not going to have the big gaudy TFLs or sacks or whatever, but they can still have a, a really important impact by forcing quarterbacks to get the ball out of their hands much more quickly than they want and not allowing their best receivers enough time to get open. So I think that there is is definitely an opportunity to see the defensive line have a huge impact on the season. But like you said, JT is not necessarily a guy who's going to probably put up double digit sacks, although if he does it, I will not be surprised. I saw the Penn State game. I know what he is possible he's capable of doing. But 
I, I don't think we're we're in an era, especially at the high major, even though the Big Ten is not necessarily the most quarterback friendly league in the country. I just don't think we're going to see those numbers and what we're used to, what we think of from a generation gone back or a decade gone back of what we think of as being an elite Ohio State defense. But I do think that this defensive line is probably the best one in you know the past five years, six years, seven years um, yeah. on the whole, even if they don't have the big studs that they did you know, at the end of the Urban Meyer era, beginning of the the Ryan Day era. Yeah, and if you look, you can look at the historical stats, like sacks just aren't registered at the same pace that they used to. And that's just, that's a fact. And part of this prediction is I I, I hope JT Tuimoloau listens and I fire him up a little bit. But, you know, another reason that I kind of made this prediction is we're talking about a guy who had one and a half sacks in his other 12 games last year, you know? So that's, I wouldn't say it's concerning, but that's why I am not ready to call him a sack artist or a potential sack artist. But again, the flashes and even against Georgia, like he didn't really have any stats, but he was all over the place. Georgia was keyed in on him. So we all know what he is capable of. I'd love to see it more often. And if he proves me wildly wrong, so be it. That's great. Um, Matt, I told you I wasn't going to be all defense, so let's switch it up a little bit for my fourth bold prediction, which is Travion Henderson is going to be Ohio State's leading Heisman candidate. This has all the potential in the world to blow up in my face as far as predictions go, but I think that Henderson is going to be back, back. It's like people forgot how good he was and how good he can be. Not to mention how damn explosive he can be. I think that Ohio State will lean on their running backs a little more this season, and I could see Henderson playing sort of the the Bijan Robinson role to Mayan Williams's uh, Roshan Johnson at Texas. If you're familiar with that team from last year, you know Bijan had nearly 2,000 total yards and got all the hype, but Roshan Johnson was a guy who got like 100 carries in each of his four seasons and was wildly efficient, found the end zone 23 times. So I think that Ohio State can play a little bit of a Reggie Bush, Lendale White game. And in this instance, Travion Henderson would play sort of the Bush role. And I think that he can and will be a Heisman candidate for Ohio State. This does not have the potential to blow up in your face this has no potential of actually happening at all. So there's no blowing up because there is no chance. Wow. It's it's just, it's just not possible. Here's the thing you mentioned. He could be B. John Robinson. Was B. John Robinson a Heisman trophy finalist last year? Uh, not a, was he a finalist? I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. I mean, he was highly thought of, but he didn't have the season that some people thought he might. No. No, he was not a Heisman trophy finalist. Here's the thing. This is a quarterback award. So if Ohio, if Ohio State has a Heisman Trophy finalist this year, I I, I think it's going to be Kyle McCord. I actually would if if you asked me to put money on it, I would put Kyle McCord going to New York City, just because every Ohio State quarterback that Ryan Day works with goes to New York City, especially in their first year. So I I I think that's the thing. But I think you also have to remember. Yes, Travion Henderson had a great freshman season, ran for 1,250 yards, something around there, 6.8 yards per carry. Last year, injuries, a lot of weirdness last year was only 571 yards, 5.3 yards per carry. But they just have so many dudes at that position now 
that I just don't see him doing enough, you know, having enough carries to put up enough yards. Not only do you have Mayan Williams, who I think is arguably RB1. If you want to say 1A, 1B, like we talked about earlier, I'm fine with that. But like when you're struggling to determine who actually is the number one running back on your roster, it's very difficult to assume that one of them will end up being a Heisman Trophy finalist. Then you've also got Dallin Hayden. You've got Chip Trainum. You've got Evan Pryor, who hopefully is is healthy. Hell, you even got T.C. Caffey, who showed up uh, as a walk-on last year and looked fairly good in his time. So I'm not saying that T.C. Caffey or Evan Pryor are going to steal carries from Travion Henderson. But I do think Chip and Dallin will. So I just don't know that he has the opportunity to have enough carries. But also, I don't know that you want a running back in today's day and age to have that many carries. We saw what happened with Mayan uh, and Trey and Dallin and everybody else last year. That it's just such a physical game that not only is it tough for for one running back to be the guy carrying the load all the time to make it through an entire season, it also kind of hurts their pro potential, and I don't think Ohio State wants to do that. So I think because of all of the insane amount of talent that Ohio State has at wide receiver, because Ryan Day is kind of still the quarterback guru, and you know Corey Dennis gets his credit as well for that too, I just don't see an Ohio State running back being the guy to lead the offense. And I also just don't think that the Heisman voters are going to put a running back who doesn't have an absolute record breaking year in as a finalist. And I, there's just, and I just don't see him doing that with all of the competition in that backfield, not even competition. It just that many guys in, in the backfield. It just behooves Ohio state to rotate more. It is better for the team to not rely on one guy. I don't necessarily love the idea of one guy per series. Like this is my series. This is Trey's series. I don't think that makes sense. I don't understand why they've always done that. I think that's dumb. Rotate them in and out. Let them run four or five plays. Come on, get a breath, give a different, uh, a, a different look. But I, I just don't see this having any possibility of happening. I don't get me wrong. I think Trey very well could be the best running back in the big 10 this year, but being Ohio state's representative in New York Unlikely. If you're telling me that Kyle McCord splits season, you know, splits time with Devin Brown this year and neither of them catch on. And so the wide receiver numbers, you know, don't look as good as we're used to. Maybe by default, Trey is the best Heisman Trophy candidate, but he's actually like 10th or 11th or 12th. Okay, I can get that. But I just don't see. Well, and that's. And Matt, to defend my stance a little bit, I I didn't say finalist. I was maybe sort of thinking finalist. So we might actually be a little bit more on the same wavelength or more so than you think. Yeah, I I still believe that Ohio State's passing offense is going to be otherworldly. I don't see that taking a step back. But it could also be injury. If Kyle McCord ends up having a great five games and then breaks a bone in his hand, and then, you know, he obviously is not going to be a Heisman contender, and maybe that takes a step back for for Marv or Mecca or whomever else, uh, Julian. Um, Maybe that means that the passing numbers aren't there. So maybe by default he can sneak in. But when you talk about like the leading Heisman candidate for Ohio State, I just think there's too much else going on in that offense to predict that Trey could do it. Could he do it? Who knows? If he does, I will certainly champion that and I will love watching every single second of it. I just don't think that that's really a that's a bold prediction. That is a very, very bold, bold prediction. And that's what I'm here for. And look, all of your your points made are very fair. And I honestly would have to say that I agree with a lot of those. It's just, and I hope I'm wrong on what I'm about to say. I just, 
I don't know if Kyle McCord is going to pass for 3,500 yards, 4,000 yards this year. Like, I really hope that he does. But we're talking about a guy who Ryan Day has not trusted for the totality of his two years on campus. And even now, there is an, an air quotes competition. Even if there's not, there is a competition being like talked about. So... I'm in like, fairness, look. though, in fairness, though, I think that had Devin Brown not broken his hand at the end of spring practice, I think Kyle McCord would have been named the starter. Ryan Day had talked about wanting to name a guy coming out of spring, and I think he was on the path to do that. But then when the other guy in the competition can't play in the spring game and can't play for the last week because he hit his hand on the helmet of another player, I think that that makes it harder to say, sorry, you just got you know, eliminated from the competition because of this. So I I do think that Kyle McCord won it in the spring, but they just couldn't announce it because of the injury situation to his backup. But that's just me. I could be wrong. And I've been in the Kyle, I've been a part of the Kyle McCord hive for a while. You know this, you know this, but it's just like, okay, it's been two plus years and Ryan Day won't let him air it out. or <laughs> We've never seen it. That's I'm true. starting to get a little bit nervous. So um, that's where I just think that the running backs come into play. But you're right. There are a lot of guys. You know, another guy that I was on, t- on for a while is Evan Pryor. We haven't seen him. He might be back. It's almost like you forget about the guy. So clearly a lot of comp- competition that he's going to face as well as sort of the historical data that tells these these tells us that these guys are not as valued. But um, I've got one more bold prediction for you here, Matt, and this is a going to be a team prediction. My bold prediction number five is that Ohio State loses to Wisconsin on October twenty eighth, but but wins the Big Ten by beating them in a rematch during the Big Ten championship game. I. I really made this prediction for two reasons. Number one, Luke Fickle. And number two, Camp Randall in late October. Uh, I'm also guessing this is a night game. Uh, just me guessing. I don't think that's been announced. Be. But, but you know, look, I think that Wisconsin will probably win nine to ten games this year because the West is rough and they avoid both Penn State and Michigan. Braylon Allen is back. They've got Tanner Mordecai probably at, uh, at quarterback now running Phil Longo's offense. Then you have Fick and Mike Tressel overseeing the defense. I just think it's a really good team, and it's going to be a tough place to play. No. <laughs> no. Do you, do you know how many – when the last time Wisconsin beat Ohio State was? Oh, shoot, like six years maybe? No, no, no. 2010. Uh, oh, man. Wisconsin so hasn't rough. beaten Ohio State so since rough. 2010. Ohio State has won nine straight, granted – Three of those were in Big Ten championship games, but Ohio State has won the last two times they've been to Camp Randall. 2016 was actually the last one, so it's been a while, but that was mid-October. They also beat them in 2012, which was mid-November. The last time they lost was, again, granted, mid-October in 2010. Uh, they lost 31-18. to 18. The time before that, though, they beat them. So I, I, I hear what yeah, you're but, saying. But Matt... Can you tell me the coaches for Wisconsin during the last however many years? That's that's my big thing here. Is it yeah. my my faith in Fickle? Yeah, you've got Chris and and, and uh, hell, I don't even remember the guy before Chris to be honest with you. Uh, and then Barry Alvarez, or whatever. So, but I look, the, I have a tough time saying that anybody in the Big Ten, save Michigan, because we've seen it, 
I'm ever making that prediction because there is just such a huge talent disparity between Ohio mm-hmm. State and the rest of the league. Again, save the it's Wolverines. I, I think I I could very easily see Penn State winning against Ohio State this season because I think Penn State's actually really good. This is a year where they're uh, everything seems to be lining up. Their recruiting is you know third best in the conference. But if, if you just look at the talent between the two, even if Ohio State plays a crappy game, there's just still better than Wisconsin. Could it happen? Absolutely. I I just I look, they haven't beaten Ohio State in 13 14 years. So until that happens, I just it's tough for me to predict it. Just like I never would have predicted Ohio State to lose to Michigan until 2 seasons ago because why would I? You know, they, it just hasn't been proven to happen. So, you know, in the 21st century, Wisconsin has won 4 games against Ohio State. 3 of those were in 2001, 2003, and 2004. So, like, they've won once in the past 20 seasons. So, I'll take Ohio State. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not worried about Wisconsin in any discernible way. Certainly, there's been close games. You look at that 2017 Big Ten Championship game, which was a one-score game. You even go back to, uh, to 2013 when they played it in, in the horseshoe. Um, there have been close games, but then I also remember the Big Ten Championship game in 2014 where it was 59 nothing, you know, or the last yeah. time they played last year, Ohio State beat them 52 to 21. Does Luke Fickle make up 31 points by himself? No, but I understand Ohio State has a new quarterback, all of that stuff. Wisconsin has a new quarterback as well, but it was a 31 point game last year. Uh, and granted, yeah. it'll be 13 months later. I was later at that one, actually. Yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah. So could it happen? Of course. Anything could happen. And I want good things for Fick. I just don't see this happening. I just, I, I just, I just, I can't. Now, get back to me at the beginning of October, and if Ohio State looks kind of crappy against Notre Dame and, and Wisconsin's just blowing people out, let's have that discussion then. But for now, preseason, I just, I just can't fathom a world in which Ohio State drops a game in Camp Randall, even if it's at night. Um, without there being some sort of other massively mitigating factors going on at the time. And this was another sort of emotional hedge by me too, because the second part of this is winning yeah, the like rematch. It, because, you know, I, I don't want to like wish this upon us or Ohio State fans or anything like that. But again, I'm a Ryan Day defender, staunch defender. And... One of the reasons I am is because look at the games that he's lost. He's only lost to like this team. And that team he's only lost in the playoffs, only lost to Michigan, like whatever. He's lost to all top 10 teams, those very few games. He hasn't had the Urban loss or really, I would call it the Urban Meyer loss because Jim Trestle's Ohio State teams were just not this of the same ilk, Um, whereas Urban Meyer would have those games that left you scratching your head and you're like, how the hell did that happen? You know, but then they would seemingly recover and be in the conversation at the end of the season, yada, yada, yada. Ryan Day has not really had that loss. You can maybe argue the Oregon season opener or the second game of the season, whatever that was. But like, so this is, I'm sort of mentally in the back of my mind. I'm like, hey, let's go ahead and get this one out of the way. But then we're going to hedge at the end and we're going to win the Big Ten championship. So Again, these are bold predictions for a reason. To the extent that I believe all of them 100%, I'm not sure. But I, I was looking for an interesting take or an interesting angle. And I, because I do have faith 
in Luke Fickle and think that he will get this Wisconsin team back, at least in, in some sort of conversation. That's what led me to this one. But, um, man, I, I did not realize it had been 2010. Maybe that makes me a bad fan. But, no, gosh, Here, that, that, sh- that sort of shoots a hole in my argument. But here's the thing that I loved about that prediction. You said that Ohio State would then beat them in the Big Ten championship game, which means more than likely that they then beat Michigan. So if you tell me that Ohio State loses to Wisconsin, but they beat Michigan and makes it to the Big Ten championship game, I'll take it. Give it to me now. If, if you can guarantee me that Ohio State wins their last regular season game, and then makes the conference championship game, which essentially will get them a spot in the playoff. I'll take it. Yes, lose to Wisconsin, lose to Notre Dame, lose to Penn State. I don't, I don't care if they beat Michigan and then make it to the Big Ten championship game. I I would trade that at this point. Now, I, of course, would prefer that they didn't lose any game. But if you're telling me they lose to Wisconsin, but they make it to the Big Ten championship game, which almost certainly would require defeating Michigan. I'm good with that. I'm definitely good with that. And, and that's that's how I sort of put a bow on this thing is we end up with the same happy opinion or agreement. I, we brought this thing back around. You got to tell me why five bold predictions will not happen, but we can bring it all home, bring it together by saying that, look, if Ohio State loses a tough one, they're still going to beat Michigan, win the Big Ten championship, good things like that. So. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's probably a good note to end on. Matt, I feel like this has been a little bit one-sided. Is there anything that you wanted to sort of touch on, bring up before we get out of here? No, I just that I'm I'm pumped. Like I'm ready for football season to start. It's been interesting and I've he- I heard uh, the guys over on the podcast daily from Rivals talk about this. Like it feels like this has been a little bit of a longer offseason because they're really save the Northwestern stuff that we talked about at the top of the show. College football really hasn't had a major story to talk about. There's been not a lot of controversy. Ohio State really hasn't been martyred in controversy. There hasn't been anything major going on. So it feels like we've been waiting a lot longer than normal. So I'm ready to get into Big Ten media days. Not that there's ever anything that really comes out of that that's worth it, but it's just it just shows that the season is here. We start camp next week, uh, I believe on the 3rd. So on Thursday, the 3rd, I believe is the first day of camp. So I'm ready. I'm pumped. Let's do it. I'm ready to strap in, have no life for the rest of 2023 and, and just see what happens. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with Kyle McCord. He is not like I, he's not a guy that I've put a lot of stock in, uh, over the years, as you have seen in, in, in Slack. I actually thought that Devin Brown would end up winning this last year, mainly because of something you said earlier, like Dev, uh, Kyle McCord's thrown 58 passes in two years at Ohio State. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what that means, but I've started to drink the Kool-Aid, even though that's a bad metaphor, because that's not actually what happened at Jamestown. But um, <laughs> he's the quarterback at Ohio State and quarterbacks at Ohio State under Ryan Day have been really, really good. So it, again, kind of like with, with the Wisconsin, you know, show me first and then I'll believe it. Ryan Day hasn't taken a bad step with a quarterback. And if he didn't feel like Kyle McCord could be the guy, I think he probably would have gone out and tried to find somebody else. So I I will trust in that for now. And I am sure by the time we do our predictions article the week before the season, I'm going to pick Ohio State to go undefeated and win the national title just because that's what I do. So let's go. Let's get started. I'm ready to rock and roll. Love to hear it. And I echo those sentiments. You know, you talked about not having a life 
moving forward. Uh, it, it's funny. My dad's birthday is coming up and then my wife's birthday. And like, that's sort of, I, I celebrate with them. I congratulate them. And I'm like, just so you know, it, it's go time now. So I enjoyed spending some summertime with you. I enjoyed spending my weekends with you. Happy birthday. It's football season. So well, I'm definitely, go ahead. Well, I was saying, and look, you, the Reds are good. So like, yeah, baby, we're both Reds fans. The Reds are like they're they've won five straight as of recording time. Uh, I don't know if the Brewers ended up losing today or not. They were down last time I checked. So maybe they're a half game. out. Okay, so the Reds are a half game out of first place going into this week. All I can ever ask, and I learned this from Kirk Herbstreit, actually, he said, no, I want the Reds to win the World Series, of course. But as long as they can get me to August and it being in contention, I am happy because that means it gets me to football season. And they have certainly done that. The Reds have been so much fun to watch. You throw in the Women's World Cup, which your mileage may vary on how much that interests you. But we've got that going on. We've got TBT going on. So this is a really great time to be a sports fan. But it's all it's just it's just appetizers for college football season. As far as I'm concerned, I'm not somebody who actually, you know, invests a lot of time and energy and emotion into the NFL. I watch it because, of course, I'm going to watch it, but I don't really care. I don't have a team. I don't root for a specific team. I've long since given up my Bengals allegiance. So <laughs> I, I, I'm just pumped. Like, I think this has been a really fun summer of baseball, and I'm ready for that to dovetail really nicely with an even more exciting fall of college football. That's a great point. You know, Chuck and I, I, I just asked him randomly on a recent podcast, is July the worst sports month? And we sort of went through a couple of them. And the beginning of July, especially when you do not have a good baseball team, it is absolutely the worst sports month there is because there's nothing going on. And I'm also like, I'm a golf fan. The last major of the season finished up today. So you know, there aren't a lot of things, but yes, when your baseball team is playing well, and that's, we are both Reds fans. I'm I, every time you say it, I'm like, Oh yeah, I knew there was one more, one more of us. Yeah. Um, you, me and Caleb, it's you, me and Caleb. Yep. And it's definitely a lot more fun and enjoyable in July that you can have something else to root for. And I'm with you with the women's world cup. You know, I can't promise that I, I watch their, professional league here in the States or other, but they are, gosh, one of the most dominant U S teams in any sport, you know, like any sport, they are essentially sort of like the dream team or they have been. And so then it's uh, America versus the world. And at least when it comes to sports, it's everyone can get on the same page when it comes to sports. So yeah, it's very cool. It's been an enjoyable last week or so as that has started to ramp up. And yes, the football conversation is starting to happen. So I, I'm with you, Matt. I could not be more excited for the next couple of weeks. And then the next handful of months after that, I want to thank you again for jumping on, filling in for Chuck, who should be back next week. I really, really enjoy when you and I jump on and chop it up. So maybe we'll do this again down the line, but for Matt Tamanini, I am Josh Dooley. We're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, as always, go out, like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And until next week, until the next episode, go Bucks.